were a Stark. This is the Geek Confidential Podcast. an english princess thank you for having me <laughs> now you just need to find your prince charming <laughs> mo yes. Rocker, welcome mo <laughs> glad to be back glad glad to be here to do some podcasting about tv and other geek things let's dive right in game of thrones released um a couple teasers one of them was part of a larger hbo teaser it featured sansa welcoming danny and john to winterfell the other one was featuring the three stark children um as they're walking past uh the statues of their family who have passed and it also features, of course, our favorite White Walker. What did you guys think of the trailer? Mo, you first. Well, for me, I, I think it, it did a really good job of immersing me back into the world of, of Game of Thrones, particularly with the Stark family, because at this at this point, they you know, they are the driving force. Of course, and, and before people jump on me, Danny as well, but in terms of the Stark of the family aspect of it, the Starks are driving this. And I feel like the, the child, the Stark children, you know, they are now taking on aspects of their, of their other family members who have passed on, who have passed on. And I think that as, as the season progresses, um, that we will see that more and more. Um, I'm really Interested in seeing um, the interactions play out be, uh, between Sansa and Danny, and how John kind of fits in the middle of that because clearly there's going to be a power struggle. Right. Um, really interested in seeing how that that goes. Dan, what do you think? I absolutely loved it. It it gave me so many questions that it. <laughs> It's exactly what this show is intended to do in terms of introducing these elements of the season, whether it's, you know, Arya being a faceless man and not having any sort of person kind of attributed to her the same way that Sansa has um, her mother or that Jon has his mother and, you know, Ned... It's, it's really interesting from that perspective. It's really interesting when you consider, like, the different t aspects to John's identity and, you know, how much of Ned is actually in John, and whether or not when he finds out about his Targaryen lineage, he will retreat back to his starkness, um, you know. And then there's the whole... Why? Why are they? Why are there statues of them? Are they going to die? Who's going to survive? There's all sorts of questions about that. But none of that stuff matters because the White Walkers are here. So we need to put that discussion on hold. Start to fight, and the idea that the White Walkers would be like immersed into the Stark crypts sort of lends 
questions to whether or not, you know, is the Night King a Stark? Is is he like a, a, a Stark from, you know, the past and whatnot? There's a lot of people speculating about that. It, it's all really interesting fan theory based on all of this. And then on top of the HBO promo um, with Sansa being like, Winterfell is yours, my, gra- or, my grace. And, you know, her giving the side eye to Danny and John just being there trying to, you know, he work on like, this. Oh, shit. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It's so amazing. And then the the inconspicuous or like the very noticeable um, absence of Bran in the in the crypt promo lends itself to being like, no, he's not a Stark anymore. He actually is the three eyed Raven now. And this is just the thing. Um, it's really, really cool. I'm exci- I'm so excited for the season. I've just been prepping and just getting getting ready. I'm ready for it. Well, speaking of the teaser trailer in the crypt, um, I have a, I have a question for you guys because watching that thing, I have a theory. Of those three children, the Stark children in the promo, we'll set Bran aside because of the whole three-eyed raven aspect. I have a theory that only one of them is going to end up surviving. And even though I am a huge Sansa stan, um, I, I actually think that she is going to be the one that if, if two of them were to die, she would be the one that survives. And this is why. First, I think that Arya has her kill list, and that has been a motivation for her through the entire thing. Would it be <clears throat> nice to see her um, continue after her kill list is over absolutely i love the character i would love to see to have the final um i would love to see the show cut to black and think of her out there assassinating people that would be awesome but i don't think that that's what's going to happen i feel like her her arc is going to end with her getting the last person on her kill list and in doing so dies i feel like john who's already died once could easily be killed off and in doing so before he passes maybe Danny gets pregnant and the story of the 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 child who doesn't know who their father is is repeated for another generation I sort of feel like that's a little bit apropos and then at the same time Sansa is the character who has been the victim pretty much the entire series until the last two seasons where she's come into her own and she's had she is a survivor much the same way that elena and cersei are through manipulation and strategy she saved john's ass a couple of times through just pure strategy even though he's making stupid decisions i feel like if cersei hadn't taken out elena elena would still be alive and those two would be moving chess pieces i feel like with little finger off the off the playing field with Varys, we'll see what happens with him. I feel like Sansa is the next Cersei or Elena, and for that, I think she's going to survive. Mo, of those three characters, who do you think will survive? I think two of the three, and I think it'll be. I agree with you on Sansa and everything you said about Sansa because I definitely see her essentially becoming. I personally think she'll become the new the new Cersei once Cersei has taken off the board. I think Arya will take out Cersei and then Sansa will fill that void. I think Jon will survive, but I think there's going 
to be a twist to that. And I think I don't I just feel like to kill him off again, you know, without, you know, because if you kill John off again, of course, the natural assumption will be he will come back or there's some some way of. of, of, But what if uh, he's the next White Walker? Well, and that's what I'm saying. That's why I think that what if he becomes the new Night King or or something to that effect where he he has to stay in the North or something like that. I mean, it's not a literal death, but a more of a metaphorical death as in the death of his family. But I do agree with you about him fathering a child with Danny. Um, I, I, I just feel like killing John it's just, it's just too simple. It's 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 got to have a deeper meaning than he dies again. Okay, Dan, who do you think will be the survivor of the three, or like Mo, do you think more than one will? Here's the thing: this show, this story, seems to reward the reluctant. So, from that perspective, John is a candidate to survive in the same way that Sansa's trajectory makes her a candidate to die. Now, I don't want it to happen, but if she continues to morph further into emulating Littlefinger, emulating Cersei, it's it, it doesn't bode well for her. And I also think that, you know... When the White Walkers invade Winterfell, not if, when, I feel like she would be the first person to not be able to defend herself and separate the emotions if, like, let's say her ancestors get reanimated and she's suddenly having to fight off, like, her mother. Oh, I completely disagree with you. Like, completely, but keep going. Really? Okay. I'm just saying I feel like of all the people I feel like Arya is the one whose emotions are always just bubbling below the surface who can't handle things and I feel like John's like brash and rashness is the thing that does him in every single time I feel like Sansa's uh, like growing into her calculation and manipulation she is going to be she like to me what happened when she watched those dogs. That was a pivot point for her. And I feel like she is now at the point where she has survived them. She will survive anything. And I feel like she is going to be the first one not to cut and run as in like she's terrified, but she is going to be the one who makes the strategic decision to cut her losses to fight another day. And I feel like John won't do that. John will just go in on his white knight, and Arya is going to let her temper get the best of her. I, I just feel like there there's an aspect to that you can't manipulate a white, you can't manipulate a white walker. And as like completely skilled politically, and with people Sansa is because she's learned from the best people imaginable. There are aspects to like facing this type of death, you know, that's coming for you that she's 
she's going to have difficulty defending because she hasn't been trained in the same ways and thus it becomes much more challenging when you're facing you know let's say they reanimate cat or they reanimate rickon or well to be fair she never really cared about rickon she was she, but there you know robert said it best in season 1 where he was like that's all the realm is is backstab backstabbing it doesn't prepare you for war and this is the great war this is the biggest conflict that the realm has ever faced will her political savvy be enough to defend herself against the prospect of facing all of these types of challenges i don't know well you may be right I may be right. Mo may be right. We shall see when the final minute airs. And we will come back to this, rest assured, on the podcast that comes after the season finale or the series That's... finale of Game of Thrones. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about what we uh, were into while we were gone. Basically, the full month of January. Dan, what kept your geek flag, flag alive during the month of January when we weren't podcasting? Riverdale is effing crazy. Oh my gosh, this show is off the rails and it's so good, but it's so frustrating. And they, like every episode, they solve like, and they reveal like three different mysteries that have, you know, been hanging over the show. But then they add like three more. And suddenly you're left with all of these plot lines just going from one to the other. And it's it all feels natural. But at the same time, it's so outlandish sometimes. Like, like they're going through all of this stuff with, like, the the fake nuns at the Quiet Sisters of Mercy, the, the Gargoyle King, the, the Fizzle Rocks. You know, Hiram Lodge is, has, like, a bounty on Archie's head. So him and Jughead go on the run. You know, you have... Veronica and her fake speakeasy situation. You got Reggie kind of sniffing around and just doing whatever. The There's discord among the serpents. And among all that, the whole show stops at, like, at a moment's notice to be like, the SATs are this week. What are we going to do? And I'm like, guys guys there's you know the farm is gaining power there's like this death cult people are running drugs there's this game taking over and 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 you guys are doing an episode about archie struggling with the sats we're gonna do this okay all right and you know this past week was equally crazy because they just decided to lean into the noir and have Jughead narrate the whole thing and look for Hiram's mistress, which, spoiler alert, is Haley Chandler. And it's just, uh, uh, you know, Kelly Ripa, it was, that, that was the joke. Uh, ha, 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 ha. Um, I get it because they're married in real life. That'd be Hiram's mistress. Oh, you're clever, Riverdale. You are so clever. Um, but they're like solving all the mysteries of like, oh, who shot Hiram? You know, I just, it's so frustrating. 
But then the episode ends with Josie and Archie being like, hey, we should jam sometime. And I'm like, you know what? Fine. If it gets Josie on the screen and it, you know, it, it breaks up the, the chaos that is going on right now. Fine. Let them go back to the music. Let, let's worry about whether Archie can overcome stage fright. That's fine. I think. I just, the show, it's so soapy. It's what you need in your life. And then, it, I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm really excited about it. But every week it's something where, like, this is so, like, Archie got attacked by a bear one week. Yeah, and that, that just epi- see. <laughs> I'm glad you're enjoying it. I don't know that we have the time to go into my thoughts on Riverdale, but I'm glad you're enjoying it. And then the stupidest scene in modern cinema was Reggie was confronting Archie about his behavior at the speakeasy in the locker room, and Archie turns around and is like, "Don't mess with me, Reggie." And he's like, "What the hell happened? What's up with these scars?" And Archie's like, I was attacked by a bear. And, like, just, who is writing this dialogue? Who is making us have these scenes where Reggie's like, you got attacked by a freaking bear? Like, no wonder you're so messed up. See, it's just... my, I, I will just, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm watching it. I'm not, I still am not in love with it the way I was the first season. My only issue with it is I feel like Cheryl Blossom, the character, has been neutered, and it drives me nuts. But yes. But that, that is a discussion for another episode because I think I would need to formulate my words and sentences very carefully when I try to express how I feel of what's been done to that character. Um, I, Mo, will, I will say, Luke, it looks like they're about to circle back. We shall see. Um, I, okay. Like I said, I I want to give it a little bit more time because she was my favorite, or she is my favorite character on the show, and I feel like she's been completely neutered. Um, I Mo, agree. What did you? What have? What kept you busy during the past? During our hiatus? One of the shows that has been occupying uh, space on my screen during our hiatus has been. Stars's counterpart, uh, Stars the Network drama in 20, I believe the show originally premiered in uh, 20, 20, uh, 2017. Uh, counterpart is an espionage science fiction thriller that stars J.K. Simming, Simmons playing multiple characters, um, a gentleman by the name of Howard of Howard Silk. In the first season, uh, J.K. Simmons' character learns that there's two parallel Earths. One Earth, which is essentially our world, and then there's an alternate Earth, which they have dubbed Earth Prime, has some slight variations in it. There was a plague on the Earth Prime that wiped out a number of of people, including uh, someone like like Bill Gates got killed in this plague and so forth. Just and so their technology is very different. Their society has evolved very differently. The music, um, sports, entertainment, and so forth. Um, so uh, J.K. Simmons' character Howard Silk, he's caught up in this 
sort of clandestine um, game, cat and mouse game between two uh, between the two parallel Earths that involves his wife. And the second, the the um, the first season ended with how with the Howard Silks um, switching Earths. So the Howard Silk of what they call the Alpha Earth, which is the out the reality that kind of mirrors um, our Earth. Um, he, that version of Howard Silk is much more meek and mild, and the Howard Silk from the Prime Earth. His he is much more. He is a spy basically, and he is very cold. He is very calculating. He now has to assume a much more meek and mild persona, and uh, in order to survive on the the Alpha Earth. The second series delves further into the conspiracy. Um, the conspiracy involves the Prime Earth. They were uh, creating sleeper agents that. Then they were sending them over to the alpha, to the alpha Earth, and then killing off their counterparts, and then insinuating them into their lives. And so now you have these sleeper agents uh, who've crossed over from the Prime Earth to the Alpha Earth, committing all these terrorist acts. And and J.K. Simmons' character Howard Silk is just caught in the middle. He's just caught in the middle of this conspiracy. He's trying to unravel things. Um, it's very much it reminds me a lot about lost and how in the first season you got introduced to these characters you kind of got introduced to this world you found out like there were some things that were off there was a bit of of i wouldn't necessarily say uh this weird combination of mysticism and and sci sci-fi but counterpart leans much more into the sci-fi sci-fi direction season two of 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 lost if you remember kind of opens up the world a little bit more you get to know a lot more of the the um, the uh, secondary and tertiary characters counterpart is doing the same thing um my i'm i've been enjoying counterpart but my concern with the show is that we're we're going too further into this rabbit hole of the conspiracy um, and that we need to kind of pull back and and kind of give us a little bit, give us some more answers. Um, the show has not been renewed for a third season. Um, it, it's probably we're probably uh, I believe we're six of the uh, the ten episodes in. Uh, but again, it, it's if you like J.K. Simmons, um, if you're a fan of, I I definitely recommend this show because he he is just terrific in it. What I caught up on while I was packing, because <clears throat> one of the things that I discovered as part of my move was that, like, I didn't, I wanted to have stuff that I could watch, but that I, like, would enjoy and have in the background. So I found myself watching a lot of Netflix and Hulu uh, while I was packing. And so one of the shows that I caught up on was the second season of Runaways on Hulu. I love the first season. I feel like this is a great YA supernatural superhero franchise that gives viewers a nice dose of like the teen OC um, gossip girl feel, but for 2000 our for our time and incorporates the superhero mythology. What I enjoyed about the season two was not only did we get to see each of the characters come more into their own and each of them sort of go down their own little arcs, 
But the way that the parent, I continue to be impressed at how the parents are incorporated into the story. And the interesting thing that I found, and I don't know if either of you have watched it yet thus far, so I won't go too much into spoilers, but I loved how by the end of the season, there had been alliances that shifted, setting up the opportunity for a lot more, uh, a new dynamic in season three, assuming that we get one. And so for me, if you have not watched seasons one and two of Runaways on Hulu, I would highly recommend it. There was some good news that came out this last week. The CW picked up Arrow, Black Lightning, Legends of Tomorrow, The Flash, Legacies, Riverdale, Supergirl, Supernatural, Dynasty, and Charmed. Now, all of that was good news except for maybe Charmed, at least in my opinion. I will not ever go back to Charmed. I, I have no intent to do so, but I'm excited about the rest of those. Still on the bubble, we have the 100, which is coming back. Its new season is set to air. Uh, Roswell, New Mexico, which we'll discuss a little bit more in depth in a bit, and All American and In the Dark. Those are still on the bubble. Dan, I think I know the answer to this question, so maybe I shouldn't even ask it, but which one are you most excited about for a renewal? Oh, Legends of Tomorrow, hands down. Okay. Oh, it's not even a, a like the ratings dive for Legends of Tomorrow made me so scared uh, because the ratings have been down this past season. Um, but I'm just so excited. It's such a good show. It has so much heart. Yeah, there's problems. Yeah, they don't have fight scenes. Yeah, they could be doing a little bit better in terms of integrating themselves within the CW uh, DC universe. But I feel like that's coming because crisis on infinite earths is going to bring everybody in and we're, we're setting things up for a big old fight and I'm excited. Well, Dan, I was going to say, you know, with, with legends, I, I don't, I personally don't see too much of an issue with the integration um the pro problem with them integrating with the in, with the other arrowverse shows i think even amongst the legends they have a problem of interacting with one another another right. because to me it feels like this season everyone is islanded and you know you, they're this islanded is true. plus they have the lack of fight scenes plus i think you're, you, you're completely missing and dropping the ball on context for um, the Time Bureau and, and just little, even little DC comic elements that I think that they could flesh out a little bit more. They're not necessarily doing. Now, I don't know if that's because they don't know, but or if, if the creative team doesn't know, they're not too familiar with the DC lore, or maybe they're just trying to steer away from it. It's just like, you throw in Constantine and you throw in Neron, you know, as a, as a DC Comics fan, you know, that gets my wheels spinning a bit. See, I would sort of put it like this, if it, and maybe this will make sense, maybe it only makes sense to me. Um, if you compared Legends of Tomorrow, which at, at its premise, the ship is used to do, give us a new adventure every week, and mm -hmm. the Time Bureau is basically, quote unquote, the base or headquarters. If you compare this to, say, say our, uh, Stargate SG-1, where you had the basis in the base, 
the basis in the base. That's really bad. Okay. You had the base where they always came back to through the Stargate. You had one person who was there, and maybe you got to see one or two other on occasion as it was necessary for, like, medical reasons. Like, you'll, you'd always see the same doctor. You'd always see the same whoever in terms of the backup. But there was always just the one, and I forget his name, the bald-headed general guy who was, like, the boss like when it came down to it he was the boss and because of that it allowed stargate sg1 even when they had stuff that was more earth based as opposed to going through the port uh going through the stargate it allowed the show to feel grounded i feel like legends of tomorrow has made a mistake by expanding so much into the time bureau and into the uh, the American government's version of everything because in doing so like with with having them locked like having um the the one character locked up and then be escape and then you have the nerdy little lady who's falling in love with the Neanderthal and like I'm thinking to myself why why are we focusing on this other stuff when the main cast of characters is not being served properly i feel like they need to refocus so that we only see sarah's girlfriend and maybe gary once in a while and just we've seen too much gary we've seen way too, too much gary we've seen too much gary we're seeing too much of the bureau the department all this other stuff let's refocus on the characters at hand, tell their stories, and only use the use those characters, the Earth-based characters, in moderation. And there's too much of them now. And it's been part of the reason why the show has been compartmentalized. Mo, uh, which series are you most happy for being renewed? It's Black Lightning, of course. I mean, no second season slump. I mean... I have not watched the most recent episode, but let's say, you know, you got to love a show in which character spines are getting ripped out and the, and the um, cybernetic spine just like starts like crawling around like it's like a centipede or something before it like. That was the most disgusting thing I've watched <laughs> since True Blood and the spine was pulled out on True Blood. And that's saying something, considering what we... Well, maybe not the most disgusting thing since True Blood. Game of Thrones probably has a couple scenes in there. But it's it was one of the most disgusting things in a very long time. Yeah. Ugh. I'm ecstatic for Black Lightning. I love it. I actually think that The Flash has had a rebound this season, but I'm also very happy that Legacies got picked up for a second season. There's elements of Legacies that I think need to be fixed, but... I love the Vampire Diaries uh, television mythology, and I look forward to seeing it being expanded. I do need to see more Caroline. It is unacceptable that she is not on the show. Yes, they've now given us an explanation, but I need her to be on this show. Well, Luke, I was going to say, Caroline needs to stop being on the Orville and this and that, and she needs to go. She needs to, to come get, home and get take back care of and... her daughters. Exactly, exactly, Luke. I mean, she she needs she needs to deal with them because they fast. I mean, yes, they as are. My mother would say they are fast. 
In addition to the renewals, uh, we also have some pilots uh, that the CW is working on They've that have been picked up for pilots. There is the Arrowverse uh, spinoff, Batwoman, the Riverdale uh, offshoot, Katie Keene, and the Jane the Virgin anthology called Jane the Novella. Dan, I, I believe you're a little bit excited about Riverdale spinoff? Uh, it was more curious than excited. It was just kind of like... All right, this this character we haven't met before that isn't necessarily like, I mean, I know she has her own comic series, but I personally hadn't heard of her getting a spinoff of this degree. It it, it was just it was very surprising, especially you know we we haven't necessarily done the best in integrating. Sabrina into the greater Riverdale-dum necessarily. Let's let's pause for a second. Let let us keep Sabrina and Riverdale completely separate. I realize that they are connected, but Sabrina on Netflix is so far superior to what we are getting on Riverdale these days. I do not want, I do not want Sabrina tainted. I I really like I feel like Jughead Jones unlocking the whole Spellman family no, and no, the mysteries no, no, around no, that. Nope, 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 nope. Dan. No. I would watch what and then oh my gosh, Archie and oh Harvey. Man, I'm saying. And, <laughs> Archie and Harvey having scenes together. No. Of just people being dumb at the same time. Nope, 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 nope. Well, see, see, Dan, if you go... No, but here's... I'm going to just throw this out. If you go down that rabbit hole, it would be Archie and Madam Satan. Because... Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to just... I'm going to leave it at that. No, yeah. no. We do not yeah, want them to cross that, over. They can, they can a, allude to each other, but no crossover, please. That is a Miss Grundy move, if I've ever saw it. Well, there were two new shows that premiered while we were on hiatus, uh, Deadly Class on Sci-Fi and Roswell, New Mexico on the CW. Now, I was a huge fan of the original Roswell. That was my college years. Um, I'm not as impressed with Roswell, New Mexico. I've already taken it off my DVR. Mo, what did you think? Okay, so I've only watched two episodes of two of the three episodes that have aired to date. Um, I enjoyed watching uh, the original Roswell. I wasn't as obsessed with it as probably you were, Luke. Um, but I enjoyed it for what it is. This new version, it... Let, let me put it like this. So, Charmed was a... I'm charm. It wasn't even like a, a, a Xerox. The new charm is not even a. It's not even worth saying it's a Xerox of the original charm. Um, it's it's some completely different animal. I believe that the new Ros Roswell, New Mexico. I think it's like a Xerox, like a Xerox copy that's been done. It's a fourth generation copy, and. You so basically, hints. it's a fax machine copy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, like for me, I don't think that its its pieces are bad. I think what it is is that you've got so you've got the original concept of Roswell. You're marrying that with um, 
con uh, contemporary societal issues um, and involving, you know, immigration, which I do can see the overlaps between them. I think that the rub comes just sometimes it, it's it's like you're trying to put put a square peg into a round hole. I mean, they're they're doing it, but it's but it's the metaphor doesn't quite work for me yet. But again, I've only seen two episodes. Here is how I would put that. And I think that it has a very similar problem to the problem with Charmed, or one of Charmed's many problems. If you compare this Roswell, Roswell, New Mexico, to the original, one of the things that the original Roswell did was set up the siblings really well. And part of the reason why they could do that is because they were teens. This Roswell feels compartmentalized, disjointed, and you don't feel the family connection. You do not feel like chemistry between the the three aliens i realize that technically they may not be family on like related related but like in that unit those three characters you need to have them feel like they are people who you want to root for as your alien underdogs who are in hiding i do not get that sense with roswell new mexico I just feel like, oh, yeah, they've been living here. We may have a secret, and uh, so what? We're going to just do this. I mean, I feel like the story and the the characterization, while, ha it, while the show has potential, they do not have enough in the first two or three episodes, because I, I think I've watched three, where, in there that makes me want to cheer for the three characters that I'm supposed to be cheering for. It seems like the the decision to make so much of an emphasis on the romance undermined the the f familial dynamic that I feel was important to to the original one. That's my take. Well, that's that's ironic considering that, you know, Julie Pleck is involved right. in this show I adore her i like listen i will pretty much watch it i will give anything that she watches a chance i feel like there's a component in this one that's missing that the other one had and just like the original charmed you had this really great dynamic with the three sisters the the new charmed did not or of the episodes that i watched before i took it off my dvr and i feel the same way with this roswell well i feel like and maybe i'm giving it a little bit of rope because, again, we got some daytime vets in there who I'm fans of on Roswell, New Mexico. So so personally, maybe, and some Vampire Diary vet, you know, Vampire Diaries original vets who I'm fans of. So I'm giving it a little bit more rope and a little bit more leeway. But I'm also wondering if, again, because the original was so focused on the fact that the three, the three, the three siblings were in high school that this new version wants to be the inverse of this. So maybe the whole point is, is that they're, they're adults they're They have their own like individual lives going on. And as the episodes, as, as the season progresses, just so things I, just kind of force them to come together. And then we get the familiar bond. I have a question for you and, and we, we can, you can answer this and then we can move on. It came up when we were discussing the original Charmed. Remember, and and maybe it wasn't on the podcast, but I know I was discussing it with a friend, or not the original Charmed, but the new Charmed. Uh, one of the things about 
the new Charmed is <clears throat> they, they've spent a lot of time trying to get like socially conscious things in, incorporated into the show that are relevant to today. Those things are all great, but if you're going to incorporate them, you have to have characters that you're going to enjoy and like. And I'm not sure that they've made the characters in Roswell, New Mexico likable enough or cohesive enough to be telling the story of the illegal immigrant story through both the aliens and then also the fam like the other characters on the show i'm all for those stories being told no problem at all but you've got to give me something with the characters in the first place before you do it supergirl has always had those elements but they really went with the whole illegal immigration metaphor later on in terms of like they they focused on it heavily after she'd been more established and i'm wondering if that is sort of the problem because charm sort of did it with some of the other things as well what are your thoughts on that well no no and actually when you put it in that context look i totally agree so so again yeah it's with in the case of supergirl it's it was the you know first two three seasons you know the whole um alien you know uh the immigration alien metaphor, you know, for a better word, you know, that was kind of, it was there, you know, and it was on the periphery. And then once, you know, again, we got to see Kara's relationship with her sister and, and, and see how the public views Supergirl versus other aliens. And, you know, as time went along, you know, you know, these kind of, subplots you know kind of boiled over and now we have the entire season is about you right. know immigration right. and i but do they and built i think to it. they built, they to, built it. to it and i agree with you and that, and that maybe maybe just have it in on the fringes and again and then just building up to it and then maybe really attack it you know by let's say the sixth episode really just delve into it then because you've got a little bit of ramp up because it does feel like in some ways that we're missing pieces of the story of the backstory with the characters that would help us relate to them a bit more because because it, it's clear that we're missing story right and and i think that's part of the problem is that we didn't it's they're telling us about their relationships their past relationships but instead of showing us their their past relationships well, one show that has a whole bunch of new relationships is Deadly Class on Sci-Fi. I've watched the first two or three episodes. I think it's three. My DVR is acting up, so I'm not entirely sure. But I know I've watched the first two for sure. I love the stylization. I love the 80s setting. It's my understanding that this is based off of a graphic novel or comic book series that I had not watched. So I'm just going into the, or read. So I'm just going into this completely as a novice, just enjoying it as a YA-based television show. I appreciate the fact that they go so hardcore on things that I didn't expect to see in a YA show, even one that has a lot of death and stuff. I, I'm i enjoying the characters. Uh, I think that they are doing things right in terms of fleshing out the stories. They're giving us little insights into each of these characters as the stories being, like, as the episodes are progressing. And in doing so, I'm starting to care about these different characters and that's where i think it's different than like roswell new mexico it there isn't 
something isn't working there. Benedict Wong, though, as Master Lin, I am loving him. And I will keep watching it just to see his interactions with these kids because I feel like he is anchoring this show and allowing these kids' stories to play out. And I'm impressed. Now, out of five stars, I'd probably give it a solid three for the first two episodes. We'll see how it evolves as the season ends. But so far, I'm on board for it. Mo, um, I know you've watched an episode or two. What did you think? Yeah, I've actually watched all three episodes. Um, I know about the comic. Um, it's an image comic series. It's um, written by uh, Rick Remender and um, drawn by an artist named um, Wesley Craig. It's been coming out for about, I would say, about four, four, four or five years now. After I watched the first episode, I did read the first uh, first few issues just of the source material, just to kind of do um, some comparisons and the, those first two episodes, I mean, I, it almost feels like a literal translation. And I think in some ways that kind of hurt, hurt it in, in my opinion, because I feel like as we're trying to get to know the characters, I feel like there's something off about the dialogue and, and as you said, the 80 setting, yeah, music, I'll, I'll admit, all that. I'll admit, adjusting to 80s vernacular again, as someone who was born in 79, I didn't get a lot of that because I just wasn't conscious of it. Yeah. And so hearing it, there are there have been times where I'm like, is this just 80s dialogue or is this the script? And I don't know, but I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, and that and that and and I think that to me that has in my opinion, uh, impacted, like, I don't like the chemistry between some of the characters. I'm not quite, quite seeing it. And Marcus is supposed to be, you know, the kind of your anchor. And, uh, and, and certainly, you know, he is the new student. So he is the first, for, um, your, uh, fresh perspective on, uh, King's dominion and the school that they attend. And, and so he's given me that, but as an anchor, he's not doing that for me. I agree with you. It's, it's to me, the anchor of that show is Master Lin. It's Bennett and Wong's character. See, um, but I think that, like, I, I hadn't thought about that point. I never uh, read uh, the Magician series either. Quentin was supposed to be the anchor, but I never felt like he was the anchor. I always ended up feeling like Elliot ended up being the anchor, like the, even though it's supposed to be Quentin. So I can see where, since both of these are the sci-fi, I mean, channel shows, that there might be some of that involved. But I'm wondering if we will see a different student end up being the anchor. And I agree. And I think, but I think, and maybe that's because as they get away, as it, as it not necessarily get away from the source material, but they get a little bit looser mm -hmm. and, 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 and and not really be overly slavish to the source material. I think maybe we will we will see what character rises up because I will point out that because I did some I did some research in that those first two episodes the the comic creator Rick Remender he he was writing he was writing and co-writing those first two episodes of uh, Deadly Class so and that may may attribute to my my way of thinking i do know that the 
um, I believe it's Lev, Lev Grossman who who wrote um, the the Three Magicians novels. Um, you know, he's a, he's a, a consulting producer, but he he. he if I remember correctly, he has not written an episode of the the Magicians. But I think the thing about the Magicians is, right out the gate, as someone who has read all three of those novels, you can see the differences. Whereas with Deadly Class, um, you know, the characters are pretty much, um, to the best of my knowledge, to, to my limited knowledge, you know, more or less what you get in those early issues of the comic. So there were a couple trailers and teasers that have been released while we were gone for film. We already discussed Game of Thrones. Cannot wait. Um, we got a Birds of Prey teaser, and we got a Hobbs and Shaw trailer. Uh, the Hobbs and Shaw trailer, I cannot wait. I am so looking forward to this. Cannot wait. The Birds of Prey, it's a teaser. Harley Quinn is very uh, is featured front and center as one would expect. I'm I'm intrigued, but it doesn't necessarily have me as excited. But once again, it's a teaser as opposed to a full fledged trailer. Dan, what did you think of them? Well, the Birds of Prey teaser sort of felt like like One Life to Live's last opening credits situation where they were just kind of walking around and there's lights flashing for no reason and you know everyone's sort of smiling and stuff and it's it just it it kind of reminded me of the fact that how much I want the Huntress to go to come back to Arrow like I I don't know I'm I'm optimistic from the perspective of focusing on Margot Robbie because she's so she was so good as Harley Quinn. And so putting her in a new environment with all of these new characters, hopefully they do a better job with her uh, before they have to do Suicide Squad 2, which I shudder to think about. Um, but holy cow, Hobson Shaw looks great. I'm super excited about it. Um, this, the idea that the rock jumped out of a building to punch a guy in safety equipment and on a rope in the face and then swings over and mouths, you know, F you over to, uh, Jason Statham is just, it is incredible. And I will say the Rock has his math wrong in terms of saving the world. I would say he's done it twice because he was pretty sidelined uh, during most of seven. Yeah, he came in and saved the day toward the end, but just saying from that perspective. And then also he let uh, during five, he let them go. Like he was outsmarted and they took all of the money and became rich and he knows it. So, like, I don't understand this whole, like, I've saved the world four times. No, no, you haven't. Twice tops. Come on. Okay. But, yeah, no. I And also, Jason Statham, they still have yet to get justice for Han. I, 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 as much as I like Jason Statham and I like Deckard Shaw, he still killed Han. Like, we can't brush that over this guy was one of the main characters and this guy blew him up so mo what did you think well you know for me i i enjoyed idris elba as the the villain right of, of 
of uh, Hobbs and Shaw. I mean, he is basically as as some some um, outlets have ca- described them as sort of this like anti Captain America figure. You know, he's this new super soldier, and um, yeah, I mean that trailer. <laughs> I mean, it literally felt like you know. It was a Marvel movie, minus like a lot of the superpowers, and you substitute the cars and the rocks scaling down uh, buildings for like Thor flying or or something like that. So it it's it's definitely gonna be a fun movie. Um, I'm really looking forward to this. And I was gonna say about Birds of Prey. What I think it's too early to really judge Birds of Prey. I feel like at this point, I think we got to get more information. Um, I think that I really like the woman who's playing um, Black Canary. I think a core problem with Birds of Prey is even if you're not familiar with the comics, some of you all may have maybe I can't remember. Luke, you probably may be familiar with the old Birds of Prey TV show that was on. The, the, uh, <laughs> so so one of the core elements of Birds of Prey was Barbara Gordon as Oracle. You know, she had retired from being Batgirl because of an in, because of an encounter with the Joker, and and for me having to navigate that it is very difficult because Barbara Gordon is a core part of of Birds of Prey um, fr- from from my experiences in the comics and and, and whatnot. So. We'll see. I mean, it's it's early days. So I got really excited only to have that excitement dashed because there was a rumor that went around that we were getting a Batman Beyond animated movie. And I loved the original um, animated series and I still buy the Batman Beyond comics. But it did. It turned out not to be true. Um, the raps, Umberto Gonzalez uh, tweeted, no, there is no Batman Beyond movie in development. Their official word is not true. We are not working on an animated Batman Beyond movie. In fact, to be extra sure, it was checked and shot down at Warner Animated Group on the feature side, DC Films, and WB Animation on the TV side. I am all in my feels about not being able to get this. But maybe one day I will. There was some other Batman news this last week. It's official. Ben Affleck will not be reprising the cowl in the new film that's coming out, The Batman, in, I believe, 2021. So I want to get each of your reaction to the, that, like, that element about his not being it anymore. But I also am curious as to... Who would you like to see be the next Batman, whether or not that's a young version, if they do like sort of like a Gotham style big screen version where you have, say, a teenage Bruce, or if they were to if they were to um, film another movie, not necessarily the Batman, but another Batman movie, who would you like to fill the role if it was like a normal adult Bruce? Dan? In terms of, you know, Affleck not doing it anymore, I... It's just it is a little a little sad, but it's one of those things where I'm just kind of like, all right, fine, whatever. There's been rumors. There's been all sorts of things. They've really botched everything in terms of these DC movies, aside from Wonder Woman. And from what I understand, Aquaman, I haven't seen it yet. It, it, I've been busy. Um, but Aquaman it's... is a ton of fun. And okay. Aquaman is a well, billion dollar movie. 
Right. That that's fantastic. It's the I, most successful of the new era. That's that's super great. Shouts to everyone that watched oh what was North Shore that where Jason Momoa started. The, it was like the OC's spinoff. I don't necessarily know who I'd want to play Bruce Wayne because like there you could you could have him be super old again and do like Ben Affleck 2.0 like you could throw Matt Damon in there just as a thing that would be sort of lame because at that point you might as well just bring Affleck back you could do like a younger version like literally you know diving into the 20 somethings it's gotten to the point where they've made they haven't gotten like risen above math this is okay since the nolan films and because of all of the rumors because of dc just dropping the ball in several ways i've just become so apathetic to batman that i i kind of don't care who's playing him just Let's figure it out. Let's see if they can make a good movie. Let's see if they can write a good movie. Let's see if they can make it attractive and like make a Gotham as good as what we saw in the Dark Knight and what we saw from um, the the aspects of Batwoman in the Arrow crossover. That's what I want above anything else, you know. Whoever's playing Bruce Wayne is secondary, in my opinion. Mo? Well, you know, with regard to, to Affleck, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with him parting from the role. I mean, he, he's done two movies, and, you know, they were fine. Uh, I, I do admit that, that because Affleck's version of Batman was such an, an older character or a more seasoned version of Batman that he went some trauma, uh, particularly with involving Robin would have loved to have gotten more of that backstory on that. But, you know, I can, I can live with, with DC, like cutting their losses at this point and, and moving on with regards to potential new Batmans. Um, I read an article on, on the Hollywood reporter, um, an interview uh, on a Hollywood Reporter, featuring the director um, um, Matt Reeves, um, he's talking about like a younger Batman, like um, not necessarily going to Gotham teen teen Bruce Wayne, because we've seen how that story is playing out, and there are some issues with that. Nothing about cat, nothing about uh, the Bruce Wayne on there in terms of the actor, but in terms of um, just just the, the overall had, arc. What, what they the had overall sore ass some of the characters maybe. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's questionable. But but anyway, in terms of just potential, who I think could be an interesting uh, Bruce Wayne in, in that in the twenty twenty one Batman film, I think um, Richard Madden who played uh, Rob Stark in Game of Thrones, would be an interesting choice. He is hot right now because uh, he's coming off of his his win, um, his Golden Globe win for, for the body, for Bodyguard, um, which, has, which was big over in the UK, blew up here on Netflix. I think he could do it. I, I would be curious to he, see him in the role. I feel like he is the type that has the presence to pull off Batman, but he also has the presence to do... 
Bruce Wayne. And I feel like Ben Affleck was a much better Bruce Wayne than he was a Batman. And so I would totally be on board with that pick. For me, the person who I would love to be Batman, be, but I, if, if he was Batman, this is a person who I also wanted to be Wolverine in a new Wolverine franchise, but I'm not going to get that either. Tom Hardy as Wolverine would be great. Tom Hardy as Batman might be a little bit short, but boy, him in a bat outfit, like he would have actually fit that like tank like suit that ba- that Ben Affleck was in last time because it would have just been it would have been like the Hulkbuster Iron Man um, costume in the last Avengers film. I'm not sure Tom Hardy could pull off the Bruce Wayne side of it, but maybe I think it would be fun. I'm I'm sort of conflicted about it all because I feel like I feel like Warner continues to just throw crap up against the wall to see what sticks. And I don't necessarily need like the big old Marvel extended universe where everything ties in but it would be nice to know that there aren't multiple batman movie or not batman but ultimate multiple joker movies with different actors playing joker and that somehow if we're going to have margot robbie returning for in not only the suicide squad but birds of prey that she might be in the same universe as like or that we get to see her with Wonder Woman, which is probably the crown jewel of critical achievements for the Warner universe that we've seen thus far. And then you have Aquaman, which it wasn't a, a great movie, but it sure was a fun movie. And it's proving to be the most successful of this. It's proven to be the most successful at the box office of the new era. And so I'm like, okay, Superman didn't work. Batman has had problems, but we've got Wonder Woman we've got Harley Quinn, we've got Aquaman, but now we're going to have two Jokers. We're going to have birds of prey. We're going to, and I'm like, and we're getting another suicide squad and suicide squad. Well, okay. At the box office, wasn't really a critical darling. So I just feel like I don't need to know what the plan is. I don't need to have them connected the way Marvel does it. But it would be nice to feel like I, you can go and watch a DC movie and there be some sort of thread. It doesn't have to be like a, blaring, a glaring, a blatant one, but it, there just needs to be something that makes it feel like they aren't just going into a boardroom, throwing a whole bunch of crap against the wall, and the ones that don't slide to the floor are the ones that work. Maybe that's too much to ask. I don't really think it is, but that's just my perspective on it. Any final thoughts as we wrap up this first episode of 2019, Dan? A lot going on in the world of geekdom uh, between movies, and, uh, video games, the New Kingdom Hearts finally released after 15 years of uh, just people waiting. Uh, so that's super exciting. Uh Make sure to go pick that up. I hear good things. And, you know, just keep on keeping on. Okay. Mo? Definitely keep an eye on what's going on in in um, the comic in the comic book world. Um, DC, out of the gate, there's a lot of moving parts going on there. There's been some reorganization within within the, the comic side of DC. Um, 
also i would i would keep a lookout what's going on with marvel now that um the disney deal is the disney fox deal is about to close be curious to see what happens there um number of other comic companies they are trying to get properties either on television or in the in the movies uh for instance dark horse comics one of their properties the umbrella academy is will be um starting on netflix in on, I believe it's the 15th of February. So lots of things going on. I'm looking forward to the Super Bowl, which we're recording this on Saturday. will be tomorrow because there are always lots of great superhero, sci-fi, fantasy commercials that come out. I cannot wait. This has been fun. It's been great catching up with you guys. I wish that Mel had been here, but she has a good excuse. It's her birthday weekend, so I'm sure she's partying. We look forward to having her back, hopefully in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can find Dan on Twitter at RealDanPierce. Mo is Dr. Mo 77 Yep, correct. I am at Luke underscore Kerr, and you can always follow, follow Geek Confidential on Twitter at GK Confidential. We thank you for listening. Until next time, so long. Bye, y'all. Bye, everybody. <laughs>